Hi there, I'm Robert Netkin, host of the Information Security Podcast. For 16 years, the summit has gathered thought leaders of the information security world for a week of learning, networking, and conversation about the industry. Today, we're giving you an inside look at one of the 2018 keynote addresses given by Gunpat Gunnar Waugh, recorded live at the Information Security Summit. Gunner is an experienced FBI agent with a history of both law enforcement and national security. His knowledge of cyber, IT, finance, compliance, government, intelligence, and physical security set him apart as a leading voice in the world of information security. This year at the summit, Gunner gave a keynote titled, How Private Partnerships Impact Cyber Investigations. We recorded Gunner's speech live at the summit, and we'd like to share it with you now. All right, thanks, Rich. So, so thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate your time. And so I was driving over here today, I was thinking about this kind of a different topic than normally I just do kind of hardcore cyber. We do like case presentations, those sorts of things. When I talk to Gary and Rich about what their expectations were, it's a little different than we're, we're used to. And, and had a great week last week at, uh, I was telling Rich, at a leadership conference for law enforcement partners. Uh, in Buffalo all last week, which was capped off by the director who spoke uh, Friday, I'm sorry, Thursday night. And then Friday, we had, a, had the honor of a uh, former uh, New York Fire Department firefighter who was in New York on 9-11 and was going into the South Tower as the building collapsed. And listening to him tell a story, you know, and you think back to 9-11, um, you know, where we all were, uh, I'm not going to ask where Celeste was, uh, <laughs> but, you know, where a lot of us were and what we were doing and how it impacted us. And I think it may be a more appropriate title for this presentation would be innovative partnerships, right? And, and how they maybe use them in threat mitigation, uh, but how we use them maybe in threat mitigation kind of writ large. And I think back to 9-11 uh, after last week and think about this speech today, and 9-11 was really kind of a, you know, a, a land, a watershed event for the FBI and partnerships, right? And you know, Dave Carroll's in the back row and, and he could comment on this extensively of kind of who we were pre-9-11 and who we were post-9-11. Um, we not have really had that 9-11 event per se in, um, in cyberspace, but I think for us, you know, we're getting close to a couple things that have crossed a red line, which we'll talk about, and you know, how that might impact kind of who we are and our, our partnerships. And, and I think about this, this summit, which was started how many years ago, Rich? Number of years 14. ago. 14 years ago, right? And we talk about innovative partnerships. That was just, that was Gary's idea to say, hey, we need this. And look, look where it is now. I mean, look at what this thing has grown into all week. And you look at the agenda and go, that's just one guy's idea who said, hey, I'm going to make an impact. Um, and now it's just going to continue to impact, you know, young people like Celeste are here and old people like me and Rich and Dave. And, and, and that's just going to continue to grow and grow as people are getting jobs and learning about the, uh, the cyberspace and everything going on. So really where we're at now as an organization, we're going to talk about this, is you know, we've got to get innovative as, a, as, a, as the U.S. government and how we are going to address the cyber threat and how we're going to partner with you Right. So historically, you know, the FBI and, 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 and private sector, we don't we don't partnership aggressively. We've got some good examples, I think. and We're going to talk about them. And, and Rich leads one of them right now. Brian's a former leader of, of InfraGuard. Rich is the current leader. But what those mean to the FBI and how we take that and move it into maybe the 21st century as we kind of continue to grow is how I can partner closer with you and get out of reactive mode. So you'll start, you know, you know, not always have to call me when say, hey, you know, the, the, the excrement's hitting the fan, I need help, uh, and into proactive mode, maybe we're pushing data to you, right? So that's, I think that's kind of the space we need to be in. I mean, you don't care where the data came from, I think, for the most part. 
just that, hey, what are the bad guys doing? What are their selectors? That would probably be useful to you. And that's something that we've been talking about for a long, long time. Uh, you know, the media uh, is, is, a, is a tough spot for us. And, you know, what's going on in the media? We're going to close with kind of a, a foreign influence overview of what's going on uh, between particularly the Russians, uh, but also the Iranians and the, and the Chinese who are engaged in foreign influence. And then what the manipulation of the media and social media means for us and how much data is out there and, and, and how important it is. And I was just walking in here reading a, an article about an accountant in Russia was indicted on Friday by a grand jury in the Eastern District of Virginia. She was the financier of the Russian foreign influence operation. It's a great indictment. Uh, I encourage everybody to read it. But those are things that we didn't do 10 years ago is release indictments of you know, Russian nationals a lot of time. But yeah, she may face a trial. She may not. But a lot of things going on in the media. Um, and how easy it is for outsiders to influence kind of what we're doing and what they're trying to do to kind of keep a wedge in the US, whether it's it's Black Lives Matter and white separatists or it's Republicans and Democrats, whatever it is, a uh, lot of different things going on. So I, I think it's always important to start a kind of the big US government, you know, 60,000 foot view, what everybody's responsibilities are in cyberspace, right? So. You know, for us, DOJ, FBI, all we do is investigate and prosecute, right? So I'm trying to bring the pain to the criminals and the foreign nation state actors in cyberspace. And that could be through indictments, that can be through arrests, that can be through uh, taking down their infrastructure, any of the above, um, whether it's criminal um, uh, or national security. DHS is really responsible for protecting the .gov framework and doing a lot of mitigation. I don't, we don't put agents or analysts or computer scientists at keyboard. You know, if Rich calls me from his company and says, hey, we're under attack, we're not going to put somebody at his keyboard to help them mitigate that. You know, DHS um, has people who can do that, right? And so they, they do that very, very well. Uh, they also investigate, uh, they have some investigative authority in the cyberspace, as does Department of Defense, Air Force OSI, Naval Criminal Investigative Service, uh, you know, Army's Investigative Service. They can go out and investigate cyber crimes in, uh, on base. Um, uh, within within reason, generally we partner with them, and then National Security Agency is really responsible for protecting uh, a lot of the the intel community's backbone um, at on unclassified, secret, and top secret level, and then data collection overseas. Right, so that's what they do. I, you know, I do data collection domestically. When you think about you know one group that's not on here is CIA. Right, so CIA doesn't have a lot of responsibility in the cybersecurity realm, uh, but when we talk about kind of what they do compared to what we do, you know, CIA, and I'm, you know, I don't say I'm basically former CIA in here, and there's some former Intel community partners in here, but I'm, I'm cutting it way down. You know, CIA is responsible for human collection overseas, right? So they're trying to spy on things overseas, and they're trying to recruit sources overseas. NSA is doing data collection uh, internationally outside the US. Uh, there are exceptions. I'm doing both of those inside the United States, right? So I'm doing data collection and I'm recruiting sources, and I'm also trying to catch the spies who are here. Right, there's, um, Director Ray said it last week. Uh, I know the Vice President said it recently. There's more, more Russian spies in the United States now than there were when the Soviet Union was in power, which is kind of strange to think about, right? And, uh, you know, and we think about that and, and uh, we, then we think about some of the other foreign nation states. I mean, what is the most, what is generally perceived as the biggest threat, foreign, foreign nation state biggest threat to the US right now? Kind of, you know, which, which country? No. China, right? I mean, you know, we, we, we're, we're kind of wrapped around the axle on the Russian foreign influence of the media, 
But when you look at what China has done to our economic um, intellectual property, the theft of intellectual property and the economic warfare they declared on, on you, on the United States for the last 10, 12 years, uh, they've now started some doing some of the foreign influence stuff, as have the Iranians. Um, very, very scary, you know, what China's doing and continuing to do. Um, and, you know, Russia, with their leadership, really thinks like an intelligence agency would. So who we are, FBI Cyber Division at a glance. Um, a lot of different cases, 2,500 cases. Um, and, you know, the most important thing here, there's, there's really a couple things. Uh, you know, we only have 1,200 agents. We have about 600 in the field who are working all of these cases. Um, very, very challenging. We don't have enough resources. I'm not getting any more. So I've got to, how do I maximize that? I maximize that through partnerships, right? So we have a cyber task force, as does every field office. And bringing in task force officers, we have IRS, uh, we have Secret Service, uh, we have some locals who are there part-time. The, the evolution to me of this is a cyber task force where we start inviting private sector entities to sit on a task force in FBI space with access to FBI information. And we get to that point. Now we've seen things that are very close to that, kind of right up to that line, and we're gonna talk about them a little bit down the road. But you look at where we can go, I mean, the global footprint we have around the world, very, very interesting. We bring a lot of resources to bear. We really function under two authorities, right? So we function, uh, we function under Title 18, which is what we charge somebody criminally with, right? When Celeste hacks into the State Department, um, you know, we're gonna charge her with a violation of Title 18, Section 1030 of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Um, that'll be, you know, go public and she'll get indicted or she'll plead guilty and it'll be in the court, be public record. On the national security side, we have Title 50. This is gonna be the FISA court, you know, the secret court we heard a little bit about the last few years. Uh, DC, uh, it's ex parte, the records are never unsealed. It happens all there behind closed doors. And we as the kind of the general public don't get to see what that is. Uh, and it's really the goal under Title 50 is to data collection, right? So I'm trying to collect a lot of data on generally on a foreign nation state actor. If I want to indict them, I have to go down the Title 18 route. So kind of dual authorities and what we can do in, in cyberspace. And then what we bring to the fight here, I think this is you know, the most important, is a deep understanding of the threat. We've got some really, really smart people um, who are getting really, really uh, adept at digging into some of these advanced persistent threats and these foreign nation state actors specifically. Uh, coordination around the world. Um, every case we have, I'm trying to think of a case I can't think of a case that we've had in the last two, three years in Cleveland. Uh, we've had some big cases that has not been as a result of a partnership, either with another public entity, another government entity, something like that. Uh, really, really critical. Everything for us, uh, we, we're going to trial here in a couple later this year on a, a group called Bayrob, which is a, a um, massive organized crime group out of Romania. And uh, we, we got onto them about six years ago. It took about six years to build this case. We indicted them last year, um, went to the Romanians, and they extradited them, Romanian nationals, and they're sitting in Youngstown waiting for trial. Um, but that's just a massive case that's working through that legal attache in Romania, working through the Ro Romanian intel services and national police, uh, State Department, getting these guys extradited over here. A lot of hard work goes into every one of these cases. It's not, it's not just us. And then you look at the, the public sector input into that case, with the coordination with the ISPs, we start taking down their infrastructure and then some of the, the things they were doing in um, things like, like eBay and Craigslist you know, to, to uh, implant malware on, on victims throughout the United States. A lot of cooperation from the private sector. Really, really important for us. So this is kind of who we were, we bucket kind of, I think a lot of you guys have probably seen this slide. Um, you know, we, we use that Title 18 criminal authority against everybody, um, including nation state actors now. 
Uh, Title 50, generally against the spies, the terrorists, and then those conducting cyber warfare. The only authority I don't have is Title 10, right? I don't have the authority, which is the president signing a declaration of war against a foreign nation state, right? So if, he, if, if President Trump uh, says, hey, we're gonna go to war in cyberspace, um, that's yeah, the Department of Defense, US Cyber Command. That's not FBI, it's not DHS. Why you should care, uh, we've had this slide up for a while too. Um, you know, the average length of time uh, an adversary is on your network is about six months. Uh, they're using valid credentials almost all the time, and it's closer in the 99.9% time. Uh, and the, the loss of money just continues to go up and the impact on our, uh, on our private sector and their ability to operate. So we don't want people to be Atlanta and have to go back to like carbon copy forms, filling out forms by hand. I mean, that's, we still do that in FBI, we're a little behind the times, you know, but um, we don't want people to do that. And you look at the impact of some of these groups, this is the, the Fin7, the Carbonac group, uh, got indicted. There are uh, the, th the three ringleaders are Ukrainian nationals, uh, were indicted in August of 2018 and arrested in August of 2018, I think in Spain, Poland, and Germany, respectively. Uh, you look at the impact of the, what their group is and the, the millions and millions of lost every state except we couldn't find a, a victim in South Dakota. Uh, so if you're going to South Dakota, maybe you're safe. Uh, and energy sector, we talk a lot about the energy sector and I think a lot of us are kind of oblivious. I know when I, when I looked at this slide and Cyber Division sent it out, I didn't realize kind of the impact that cyber actors are having around the world on the energy sector. We've only, we only really advertised the, um, the one uh, hack of the dam in um, a couple years ago by the Iranians in upstate New York, but it's, it's kind of around the world. And you look at what the Russians are doing consistently in Ukraine against the energy sector. It's not just a, it wasn't a one-time attack. It's kind of an ongoing cyber, that's their, that's their sandbox, right? Let's go see what we can do over there now against their telecommunication industry and their energy, their energy sector and anything they can get their hands on. So, you know, uh, when you're talking to your boards, um, I, 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 Every time I think we, we got most boards, board of directors kind of up, uh, up, on, up to speed on this, uh, we always find one that's not. You know, if you're on the internet, it's your responsibility. It's everybody from the C-suite down to the lowest level user. If you're bringing devices into the, your, your workspace, which everybody is, um, you need to be looking at this and you need to be planning to fail, right? And so when we think about SEAL Team 6 and when they went into uh, Pakistan and uh, uh, to capture bin Laden, Right? What happened in there? One of the Blackhawks went down, you know, crashing that, that, that mud wall landing. It didn't impact that operation for half a second because they had practiced it 10,000 times. They practiced to fail. You know, hey, we're in a stack and Celeste goes down. Hey, you're picking up her responsibility. It, 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 no one even thinks about it, right? So practice to fail, prepare to fail. Think about it, what could happen. So then when it does happen, you're ready for it. Um, and it's not like every, all other risks. You know, we go talk to, you know, C-suite guys, about how dynamic and flexible the risk associated with cyber is, really, really scary. Um, and I know that I'm preaching to the choir here. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about uh, some of the cyber crime kind of generally, just because uh, it continues to be, I mean, I've been doing this, this speech for, I don't know, something like this for 15, 17 years. And what's the one thing we tell people? Don't click the email. Well, people are still clicking the email. Right? I mean, look at the, the bottom right there, business email compromise. This is just reported to Internet Crime Complaint Center and, F, and for FBI. This is not everybody. This is only who called us. You know, 1.3 billion in losses, the biggest, half of which is business email compromise. Somebody is still clicking the damn email. And it still is an issue. And I will get two calls a month guaranteed in Cleveland. So I, we're the top 40 counties of the state of 
Losses in seven figures or more as a month result of business email compromise. Guaranteed, every month. Now, when this happens, what I'm asking you as cybersecurity professionals, when somebody comes to you, what should we do? By all means, call somebody, right? So we've got a financial fraud kill chain in, in place now that's pretty robust. If you call us within 24 hours, we're gonna probably get somewhere between 90 and 100% back. And we'll go international with this. And I apologize uh, if you can read the, the, the gold bar it's, it's not remote access tool, it's, it's the recovery asset team. It's a unit out of headquarters. Yet another easily remembered acronym there. And this is for a week, a current week of activity in August. 23 incidents, uh, reported loss of um, 3,712,000 and change. We've got 3.1 back, 85%. The sooner you call, the sooner we can start calling, working with, this, with Treasury and the SEC about getting your money back. If you wait 48 hours, it's going to go down. And if you look at the chart on the bottom where, where it's low, you know, going down, it's because people waited too long. Call me. I mean, we were at, um, at the DSAC conference, Rich and I were at the DSAC conference, and we had a, a large company. A gentleman walked up to me and said, hey, this just happened, and this is the money we lost, seven figures. Um, it was through they had targeted uh, one of their financial offshore accounts in South America who had access, they had access to large corporate, uh, uh, the, some of their corporate holdings. It was, you know, millions of dollars in loss, but they waited four days. We didn't get very much back of that. Um, so call somebody, call me immediately, call, you know, FBI headquarters. I'm going to give you all the contact information. Rich has it. You know, some of the InfraGuard guys have it. Uh, I'll, we'll give it to anybody. Call somebody. You know, whether you call me, call Secret Service, call a DHS, call a local, um, but let's start pulling that money back. Business email compromise is killing us. I'm spending way too many resources working these cases. And, and we have better things for these guys to do than work business email compromise, which is the easiest fraud to, 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 to engage in. And they're, they're making billions off of us right now. This is easy. This isn't the Chinese stealing you know, their intellectual property. This is just, you're giving your money away, right? So this is organized crime stealing our money. And it's, it's organized crime and their corporate structure looks just like yours. It's all generated for profit, right? It's all targeting, you know, how do I generate revenue and make more money than, than anybody else? Um, and so this is going on all the time and we're just getting killed by it. And we talk about partnerships. <clears throat> you know, this was a, a case a number of years ago, uh, the game over Zeus botnet, you know, hundreds of thousands of bots around the world um, that the US government decided to take down. And we targeted the leader there, uh, Bogachev, who's still somewhere in Russia. We haven't captured him yet. But this was a, an effort of, uh, you know, the FBI, DHS, Secret Service, NSA, CIA, um, probably 25 overseas, you know, foreign law enforcement entities, um, malware, uh, antivirus, and um, uh, internet service providers, all targeting this infrastructure at the same time, right? I, I'm going to go out with using my seizure authority, you know, with a legal document and start seizing servers, but I need somebody to go start cleaning up that malware. And that's where the AV community came in. I don't have the authority to do that. And then we have to do that globally. That's where all those partnerships came in. Uh, took this thing down in, the, in a couple of days. Uh, massive, massive case. And every case we have like this is because of partnerships. It's, it's you know, we're, we're just a small player. Um, if we don't have those partnerships, we're just not going to be successful. So we talked a little about state-sponsored warfare. I just wanted to mention this. You know, we kind of track, you know, four known instances of, of warfare and, and cyber warfare. Uh, the Iranian attack. Um, uh, the unknown attack against the Iranian nuclear capacity in 2010, the Stuxnet virus, uh, the Saudi Aramco RAS gas attack by the Iranians in uh, what 2012, uh, the ongoing uh, campaign of the Russians against Ukraine, which started in 2014. Uh, there were some 
you know, they took down the power grid a couple years ago. They, they uh, shut down the telecommunications infrastructure when they invaded Crimea. And then the North Korean attack on Sony. And so that'll be our kind of first uh, case study on um, you know, some of the, the foreign nation states. So the North Koreans, you know, why did they attack Sony Pictures Entertainment? I don't know, you a couple of guys know, so you can't say. Because they made a comedy movie about it. Yeah, the, 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 the guard, was it The Guardian or The Interview? I can't remember what it was called. I don't remember the name of the movie. But really bad comedy yeah. about two clowns who go over and try and assassinate the, the leadership of North Korea. And so they decide to attack uh, Sony Pictures Entertainment. And so this was in 2014. So in July of 2014, you know, on the left of the slide, they, uh, the North Korean uh, cyber forces start using the tools we use every day. And all they did was start, how do I socially engineer this, the Sony Pictures Entertainment? Where do they live on the internet? Well, that's easy to find out, right? They're all over Facebook, they're all over LinkedIn, they're, they're, they got Twitter accounts and, and YouTube and everything. And so they started, uh, they created a bunch of spear phishing attempts. And spear phishing is how effective in the United States. If I, send out, if I send out 10, how many are going to get clicked on? Four. I have 40% success rate. That's the average. That's the average for FBI, whether it's an FBI employee or it's you know, Western Reserve or it's, you know, whatever it is, 40%. Still, 40% of us are still clicking, this, clicking the damn email, right? And so um, they created a bunch of Spearfish email to Sony Pictures Entertainment employees and they sent, they created a bunch of Facebook watering hole pages, you know, where they thought people would click on things. They were all successful. They landed implants across the board. And then they just start, you know, moving throughout their, their network. You know, they got the initial compromise foothold, escalate their privileges. Um, and then they start exfiltrating, right? They map out the entire network. And then all they're going to do is start exfiltrating data, huge amounts of data over, you know, Dropbox and Google Drive. That's it. You know, it's, it, you know, there were some, some sexier things that went on in some of the code and some of the malware that was initial compromise, but they're using all the tools we use every day. And so this is going on and nobody knows. This started in July, I think the first uh, compromise was July 17, 2014. On November 18, 2014, the, uh, the Guardians of Peace, which was North Korean cyber army, emailed the CEO of, of Sony and said, hey, if you don't stop that movie, we're gonna, we're gonna take you off the internet, right? We're, yeah, extortion. And so she had a great relationship with the assistant director in charge of the LA division, division uh, Dave Baldich, who's now the uh, deputy director of the FBI. And so she called him because they knew each other already. You know, have a plan, know who to call. Calls him. The next day, they're all in the White House with the National Security Council on November 19th trying to figure out how to mitigate this threat. And we saw how this played out. This played out uh, very abnormally for the FBI. Normally, we don't go public with national security cyber actors, right? So. This played out, that was November 19th, and then there was all that nonsense in the news, like the North Koreans saying, it's not us, it's not us. Um, and then President Obama said, yeah, I think it's you. Um, Director of the FBI, uh, Director Comey said, yeah, it's North Koreans. Um, we went public uh, through DOJ with their statement on December 11th, 2011, and then President Obama unleashed uh, some really aggressive sanctions, largely as a result of this, on January 2nd, 2015. Uh, so this thing got, went really, really public really, really quick. And so this case, you know, you know, essentially Sony could, you know, they were kind of Atlanta. How do I call my employees around the world? Sony Pictures Entertainment, how do I call them and tell them to come to work today? Hey, you're still gonna get paid, um, that sort of thing. And well, while there's, you know, these movies are being released online, the corporate meeting notes, general counsel and CEO private email going back about this employee or that employee or things they said about the president. I mean, some really, really stuff that they did not want released. Um, and it went sideways and, and that kind of died down the news after a short period of time. 
And then, you know, we indicted this guy, he's a North Korean cyber actor. Uh, I can't remember the exact date of this indictment. Uh, as a result, right? So he's, he's again, he's in, in North Korea right now. He's not going to, he's in a garden spot. Uh, but he was the one who really orchestrated the Guardians of Peace campaign against cyber, uh, Sony Pictures Entertainment, which would not have been successful if Sony hadn't picked up the phone and called, called us that day, uh, you know, that exact day. If they'd waited, if you remember, think about what, compare that to Target. Remember that, about that whatever that Target was either the year before or a year after. So they got compromised on Black Friday, all their point of sale issues, and the CEO waited a few days because they didn't want the publicity. They still wanted, wanted us as consumers in the Target store spending money. We don't want to, you know, they don't want people thinking that my credit card's not safe when I swipe it through the machine. And that went really south for Target pretty quickly. A um, lot, uh, lot of issues with our shareholders and board. So have a plan, know who to call, and, and don't be afraid to call them. You know, China, uh, we talked about China. China is clearly the biggest threat. You know, there's two types of people in the United States, companies that have been hacked or those who just haven't figured it out. That's really it, right? And they're engaged in everything. They're economic espionage. They're dabbling now in kind of this foreign influence we're going to talk about and what that means. Um, you know, this, this really came to a head in 2014 uh, when, when then Attorney General uh, Eric Holder unsealed an indictment against, you know, five Chinese intelligence officers. And this is, this is a landmark case for the FBI where we, um, under Director Mueller and, uh, and, and President Obama, early on in his tenure, you know, back in probably 08, 09, 2010, he essentially said, I'm tired of us getting um, the snot kicked out of us by, you know, Fortune 500 company CEOs. What can we do as a government to, to impact this? And Director Mueller said, hey, we can, um, we can indict these guys under criminal, you know, criminal charges on the criminal side. So we're indicting foreign military, foreign uh, intelligence officers for doing their day job, right? So these guys' task is to steal your intellectual property, right? You know, my job is to, you know, is to you know, protect the American people and uphold the Constitution. CIA's you know, job, we know what theirs is, is an NSA. This was their tasking as their day job, was to steal your intellectual property. And they did it very, very well. They stole the, the intellectual property of the U.S. steel industry over a number of years. And there's a reason that they had no R&D and they went to undercutting our steel prices uh, in the blink of an eye, um, you know, zero to 100, mile an hour, 100 miles an hour is because they stole it all. So uh, eventually they'll, we're hoping they'll travel, but they're still in China somewhere. The Iranians. So the Iranians are a really, really interesting group. Um, you know, what they do online, um, this really started in in 2011 and 12, if you remember, there was a series of very aggressive DDoS attacks against the, the U.S. financial sector and uh, uh, payment systems, those sorts of things. That was the Iranians. That was those seven guys uh, on the wanted poster who their job was, hey, try and take down the U.S. financial infrastructure, the front-facing the, the front web pages, and let's just see what it does. This was a shot across the bow to see what President Obama and General Alexander at Cyber Command would do. You know, what are you going to do to us? You know, what, is your, what is your response? Um, so very, very aggressive. They were also responsible for the first known breach of a U.S. Um, uh, SCADA system, and the dam in upstate New York there. For a short period of time, they, they illegally accessed it and controlled the dam. Um, so big, big case. Again, we're going public with the indictment, which the you know, State Department doesn't like. It's a, it's a big lift for us to go, in, uh, to go public, and, and they, you know, with, uh, has to have presidential authority to do it, but it's, uh, it's starting to have an impact, we think. Okay, the Russians and foreign influence. So this gets really, really interesting when we start talking about, maybe if my computer science to work, you know, how they think and why, they, why they're doing what they're doing, right? I mean, you know, it's, when you look at, at, at Putin and who he is in his background, this is kind of spy 101, psychological warfare, right? So we'll talk a little bit about the term reflexive control. 
I'm gonna use my abilities to manipulate the data that you see to shape how you act. So I'm, I'm controlling you, re you reflexively through my actions to make you, now maybe I want you to do something nice, maybe I want you to fight with him, but I'm gonna do that, right? So I am, how do I do that? So and why are they doing it, right? So this foreign influence, um, you know, kind of largely the Russian, this is a broader concept that includes activities in the information space, uh, but includes other activities, you know, including traditional intelligence tradecraft, economic influence, illicit financing, religious and cultural organizations, emigrate communities and non-government organizations and traditional tra uh, objectives, uh, tradecraft, I'm sorry. They're, you know, their objectives divide and demoralize. And we see this play out in social media into what they're doing. They're dividing a lot of different groups. They want them fighting. Um, you know, if, 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 there, if I see something happening, if you think of Charlottesville, Virginia, right? You know, what if I start, if I'm the Russians, I start financing white supremacist organizations, giving them a lot of money and promoting them on, 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 uh, on social media through fake accounts just to get more divisive, right? To get really people up in arms and pissed off and angry. Uh, that might be something. It might be, hey, I want to get the Republicans and Democrats. I don't, I'm going to have, you know, the, the Trump supporters, you know, rage about Hillary and the Hillary supporters enraged about Trump. And when we saw all this play out in 2016, you know, all under our noses. Now we kind of look back and go, wow, that, was that really true? How much was true? How much was not true? You know, muddy the public discourse. So if, if we're talking about that in Charlottesville and, and the, the red and blue and they hate each other and what's going on and we're getting ready for the elections, what are we not talking about? We're not talking about what the Russians are doing, you know, kind of geopolitically around the world, right? And when's the last time you saw a story about what they're doing? I mean, they're still attacking Ukraine. They're still doing a lot of things in that, that physical space in, in Eastern Europe. And the, uh, the, the, the NATO countries in Eastern Europe are terrified because we as a, as a public aren't talking about that anymore. We're talking about, you know, uh, the, the various issues going on that, where they're, you know, they're, the red and blue just hating each other all the time. Discredit and undermine and distract us, right? So that's, that's all they want to do. And this is just kind of typical, you know, kind of spy, um, you know, spy operation. So, you know, what is new? So this kind of, you know, uh, What's happened here is, you know, the media is no longer the gatekeepers, right? So we have all the social media, everything's online. The media used to kind of function as gatekeepers and would get data in, and then they would decide what, you know, hopefully and take away kind of their political influence, what we absorbed as a public. We don't have that anymore. It's all out there. And so, hey, if you don't like, uh, you don't like Hillary, you're gonna find a lot of data out there that you can read, whether it's true or not, that's just going to inflame you. Same thing for Trump, or the same thing if you know you you don't like the people in California, the illegal aliens, right? So we got that big group coming up from through Mexico right now. Guarantee there's gonna be a lot of crap floating around out there about how we can continue to drive a, a wedge in this country, whether you support you know their their efforts in, in 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 coming to this country legally, illegally or not. We're gonna see a lot of of manipulation of social media and what's going, what we're ingesting every day because of it, because nobody's looking at. It. They just want to report it. Hey, I just want to get it out there. And so we're not we're not looking to see was that a, is that a real account? I mean, who's just who just sent that out? Um, you know, it just it changes all the time. So it's not just fake news, right? So we we see you know the cyber plays into this and intrusions of of our government organizations, right? And political organizations stealing email and, and pushing it out there, right? Think about your email being pushed out to the general public. There's a lot of things that you're saying and I'm saying on in our email that we don't want pushed out there, and so we think about that. Um, and they're going to continue to do that. We're going to see continued compromises of RNC and DNC and political, uh, you know, political, our, our politicians, their email accounts uh, out there and then and pushed out to just make us, you know, start fighting. Leaks of the data, attacks against our voting infrastructure, 
I mean, our voting infrastructure is wide and varied. So how do we start to clean that up? Very, very challenging. So this is kind of their, the typical uh, influence campaign. We start talking about foreign influence, um, you know, kind of left to right. We're going to talk uh, research. So they identify existing social media accounts and politically, uh, and then use those and, and identify politically divisive issues, and then develop messaging. Right. So this is not just one person. This is a team of people who decide, hey, we're, this is what we're going to do. And they have leadership. And they're well financed um, uh, along existing fault lines. Right. So whether it's Black Lives Matter and white separatists or red and blue, whatever it is. Let's find some things that we know that's gonna piss some people off and let's go in and attack that. Uh, and they do a lot of research. They're gonna look at all of your accounts, my accounts, and see what might be a good thing. Uh, they're gonna task their, uh, their intelligence officers in the United States are gonna task their assets to acquire information against us uh, and then target uh, specific embassy officials. Second thing they're gonna do is, um, you know, is, is positioning. Right, so establish key infrastructure and networks of influence to be used in the later stages of the influence campaign. This will be very lengthy when you start talking about acquiring infrastructure and doing it kind of very quietly and so it doesn't look like the Russian government. Right, and it's getting harder and harder to do this. And, you know, 10 years ago when you know, Al-Qaeda was acquiring infrastructure around the world in the United States, you know, you could have a, you know, a, a, you know, get a stolen credit card and do it pretty quickly. Now it's getting harder and harder to acquire the infrastructure. You know, third is you know, production. So now we're going to produce the content that can have an influence and, and, and specific value uh, to the, uh, the influence campaign. Uh, they, they're, they're aiming to communicate through these, these tasking, which occurs between the positioning and production phase. Uh, it's set by the decision makers in Russia or China or Iran. Um, and there can be a lot of different things going on here, include the, like some of the names we're, we're used to who are part of this um, and attributed to Russian intelligence was APT28, you know, Fancy Bear and APT29 which were hacking groups which, are, which participated in this. Next, we're going into uh, publication, uh, disseminate that content that we created in the production phase. And this is to obfuscate this, uh, the true motivation behind the content. The personas and networks are developed during a positioning phase or leveraged. And this is a highly coordinated attack against us now. Um, we see things like Guccifer 2.0, the persona and DC leaks an organization uh, released hack materials prior to the 2016 presidential election. Next, amplification. We're gonna saturate the information space. We're just gonna continue to dump as much data as we can there uh, so that you and I just continue to feed upon it, right? So we, we got that, they threw the hook out there, now they're just gonna continue to saturate that. So we're gonna buy into whatever, uh, whatever venue we wanna, wanna read and believe in to, to inflame more uh, emotions. And you know, they wanna sow discord and confusion and doubt. Dynamically identify and amplify divisive issues across uh, uh, the existing biases of our target audience. And then this is, you know, this is calibration. Now we're going to see, we're going to check the effect. I'm going to measure it, right? What, 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 was, the, what was the outcome? Um, I want to see how effective it was and what that looked like. And then so what we're trying to do is a whole of society is, you know, address the foreign influence uh, effort requires engagement from all of us uh, across each, uh, each phase, including government, all foundations, researchers, think tanks, the media, which is the biggest challenge, uh, tech companies, and then uh, us as citizens. Uh, to try and inform them about what this is and to be careful what you're reading and think about it before you, uh, maybe you push it back out on Facebook and, and, and uh, continue to, to propagate it. The re reflexive control talked about that. So this is, you know, the, again, this is the, uh, the goal of, of the Russian government here, right? So they want to use their power and influence to make you make the decision that they want, right? They're taking away your free will. That's, that's the goal here. 
And you know what we we don't do is we are not, we are we're up against kind of the First Amendment on these issues, right? We're not going to go out and be the fairness police and try and take some of stuff down uh, unless it's criminal. Uh, we're just not going to get in that game because otherwise we're just going to be chasing stuff around the internet forever, and we'll we'll never be able to keep up. So what do we need from you? Uh, you know, again, I'm preaching the choir. Good security practices, um, engagement between IT and business lines. Uh, most importantly, active engagement between the public and private sectors, between you and me. Right? We need. We've got to be better at that. Uh, Long-term liaison, skilled workforce. We're hiring. You know, I heard there's people here, some kids who are looking for jobs. Uh, we're not hiring enough people. Um, you know, we'll hire probably about 3,000 people a year for the next four to five years across agent and, um, and, and professional staff. And then innovation and partnerships, right? So um, when we talk about partnerships and you, we, we talk about what people, you know, things like the ISS, and this is an innovative conference that somebody came up the idea with. And, I, and, and so I pulled a few uh, web pages from some of the more innovative groups here in Northeast Ohio. It starts with InfraGuard. Um, and Rich is the president right now. InfraGuard was founded in Cleveland in 1996. That was an idea of an agent and I think some of his you know, public sector friends like, hey, um, we should have a group that talks about cybersecurity. And it's now got how many, you know, 7,800 7, here in Cleveland. There's 85 chapters, probably 50, 60,000 members. Uh, and it's free, still free. Uh, but that started here in Cleveland because somebody said, hey, that's, that's just an idea. Uh, the Northeast Iowa Cyber Consortium, top left, that started a couple years ago. A lot of InfraGuard guys involved in this, and this is really a very aggressive information sharing group. Uh, some specific companies are joining. I think they're going to open up membership, I think, next year is what I heard. We participate in their meetings. We give them some selectors like we do with InfraGuard through pins and flashes. But this is a group that's got you know, real-time information sharing you know, through email. Hey, I see something on my network. I'm just going to blast out to everybody. Here's the selectors to all of you all the time. We're on the bulk of their email distros. They're, they're sharing information near real time between their socks. Really, really interesting. Uh, another variant of the Northeast Ohio Cyber Consortium is uh, the Arizona Cyber Threat Response Alliance, uh, a little more InfraGuard based uh, down in, in Phoenix. The ISACs, which has been around, that's kind of pay-to-play model. The National Cyber Forensic Training Alliance, which is a group in Pittsburgh, and we're really focused on information sharing at the financial sector with FBI and Secret Service. You know, these are all great groups. Now, these are not holistic across US, U.S. government and all of private industry, but these are things that somebody had, somebody had an idea. I mean, the NCFTA was an agent, Dan Larkin, who just said, we should have all the banks in here sitting with us and sharing selectors. And he had to fight tooth and nail. They threatened to kick him out of the FBI because he was crazy, just sharing our selectors with the financial sector. I mean, you know, the, the director threatened to pull him out of, out of FBI Pittsburgh. It's, it's insanity now, we think about it. But how do we do this? Uh, kind of as a whole of government, really, really challenging. And I'll, I'll send this slide to anybody who wants it, just to email me uh, at the end here, I'll give it to you, but this is all of our contact information, right? So when you get hacked, something happens, when you're a friend, company, whatever calls you, like what we should do, call somebody, please, right? And we start talking about that, uh, that financial fraud kill chain, Time, minutes count, right? Minutes count, uh, because we can start pulling that money back. Um, and so I'm happy to send this out to anybody. I'll, I'll get it to Rich and he can send it out to everybody or we can post it on the ISS slide or we can push it on your InfraGuard our site. Well, listen, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your conference. It was a pleasure spending some time with you and we'll, uh, need anything, certainly let me know. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on the Information Security Podcast. You can find our other podcasts featuring keynotes and behind-the-scenes interviews with some of the Summit speakers by subscribing to the Information Security Podcast 
on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Learn more about the summit at informationsecuritysummit.org. Before you'd go, we'd like to give a special thanks to our ISS partners, ASMGI, Better With Mustard, and Hurricane Labs. We'd also like to thank Front Porch Media for producing this podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay secure.